Have you ever wondered why some breads are flat and others aren't? Or why sometimes you'll put something in the oven and then when you take it out, it's like tripled in size and is maybe threatening to engulf whatever you baked it in? Fear not, there is an explanation. Welcome back to the Breadcast. Once again, I'm your host, Bryn Spencer, and today we're going to be talking about the wonderful topic that is the two categories that most breads can be sorted into, leavened and unleavened bread. In this episode, I'm going to be going over what unleavened bread is and what it looks like, as well as some examples, leavened bread and some examples, as well as some leavening techniques alternative to yeast. So let's get into it. So let's start with unleavened breads, which are breads that don't contain any kind of rising agent, including yeast or a chemical leaven. It's important that we recognize how amazing and versatile unleavened flatbreads are because they were actually the first kind of bread. Leavening agents like yeast weren't used until almost 20,000 years after bread came into being. So it's important to me that we start with that first and kind of give it its dues. An important note before we begin, uh, you'll notice that I'll never name a bread that is an unleavened loaf, and that's because all unleavened breads are flat, although not all flatbreads are unleavened, sort of like a square rectangle situation. Some breads that are leavened can be purposely flattened again and kept from turning into a loaf, but any bread without a leavening agent will end up that way regardless of the baker's intention. Just keep that in mind as we move through the episode. So the earliest breads were, of course, flatbreads that did not include a leavening agent and were pretty simple in terms of ingredients. That, however, does not mean that they were any less complex, varied, or delicious. In fact, unleavened breads in various textures and flavors span the entire globe. Unleavened breads are incredibly varied and range from paper-thin, crispy, to thin and pancake-like, to thick and chewy, or crisp and fluffy. They can be made with rye or barley, wheat or semolina. They can be made smoked in the ashes of a fire or covered in seeds, decorated with a design or just filled with fried vegetables or sauce. Humanity had thousands of years to get creative with flatbread before the loaf came along, and they did not disappoint. I think one of the most interesting things about unleavened bread is that even though there might not be a huge difference in textures, in some cases, there is a vast variety of flavors in flatbreads, depending on what kind of flours you use and what kind of ingredients you, you use, what kind of fat to uh, flour to water ratio you use. This is true of any bread, of course. We have a range of loaves, anywhere from dark rye to enriched white flour. Some loaves include eggs, some include milk. But in flatbreads that don't have the ingredients added ingrained flair of yeast and that slightly fermented taste that many of us have come to associate with bread, all that flavor is dependent on, dependent on what kind of flour you use, what kind of ingredients you use, and where you get them from. I personally love unleavened flatbreads, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> Flatbread was actually one of the first breads that I ever made, and it is so simple, both in terms of ingredients and process. In most cases, a simple pan-fried flatbread is hard to get wrong, but what makes unleavened bread so special is what small changes you do make to them create an entirely new bread. They're truly a testament of a cuisine or a chef's ability to use ingredients to their advantage. It's so simple yet so crucial in making a good bread, 
And I think that sometimes the simple things like that often get overlooked in favor of loaves that require kneading and proofing in an entirely different skill set, a valid skill set, but it's still different. I'm the first one to say that I love loaves. They make me happy. They make me happy to make. But it does make me sad when flatbreads don't get the recognition that they deserve. Especially because the flavor, the structure, and the pliability of flatbread often alters whatever you're serving it with. Which is why filled flatbreads like parathas and goslem are amazing to me. You have this dough rolled and stretched paper thin to the point where it's translucent. And then gets stuffed with filling and fried hopefully without ever falling apart. That takes great skill and a solid recipe to achieve, which is really impressive. Now, flatbreads, leavened and unleavened alike, exist most everywhere in the world. Even in places where loaves have reigned supreme for the most recent centuries, flatbreads are still, and I suspect will always be persistent as a feature in cultural diets. For example, while at first we might associate unleavened breads and flatbread in general with the naans and chapatis and balasma of the Middle East and Southern Asia, one can find flatbread anywhere if you look hard enough for it. For example, France, which many Americans may hail as the capital of yeasted loaves to the point where here any loaf of crusty artisan white bread can be referred to as French bread, they have flatbreads all the same. Even where loaves like pain de champagne, brioche, and baguettes reign supreme, there are still flatbreads like fugaus and soca, which are street foods. Most famous is the crepe, which can, and often is, considered a type of unleavened flatbread, which originated in France. There are so many other types of bread in Europe and other, every other continent as well. Antarctica excluded, of course. There is lefse, which is a Norwegian potato flatbread, or banak is an unleavened flatbread made from oats or barley that can be found in Scotland. Lavash is an unleavened Armenian flatbread that is similar in appearance to a crepe. Svincione is a popular street food in Sicily, and biadina and focaccia are both flatbreads that can be found and enjoyed in Italy. In Ethiopia, you can find kocho, which is a flatbread made with fermented enset, which is like a banana. You can also find faratha, which is sweet and spicy flatbread. Kasra is an Algerian unleavened bread that's eaten daily. Highly fermented and flavorful Nigeria and Lahal are eaten across West, Af West Africa, and misemin is a traditional flatbread in Morocco. China has thin scallion pancakes, and Turkey claims unleavened yufka and too many others to name. Native fry bread is unleavened and heavenly. India has one of the most extensive variety of flatbreads in the world, including naan, roti that can be made with wheat, barley, or white flour. And in Venezuela, you can find quesebe, which is a thin, crisp white bread. And of course, perhaps maybe the most famous and beloved unleavened bread is the tortilla. That is just to name but a few. Wherever you go, there is flatbread to be found. I think for the most part, some of us have been tricked into thinking that bread is limited to what you can bake in an oven or slice for a sandwich. We've been told by French cooking, the supposed paragon of cuisine, that bread is loaves, it is risen, it is scored, and it is proved. While I respect French cooking, and I myself love a good loaf, I bake one at least once a week, there are so many different varieties of bread that are worth exploring. And many of them just so happen to be unleavened. But 
As I said before, I did promise to go over Leavened Bread as well, so that is what I will do, because it does deserve appreciation and exploration. So, as I briefly explained in my first episode, leavening has to do with one or more ingredients in a dough that causes a chemical reaction to occur that results in the bread expanding, such as yeast, which I talked about almost exclusively in my last episode. So, if you missed it, I suggest going back and taking a listen, because everything will just make a lot more sense. Now, of course, yeast is the oldest and most widely used leaven throughout the world and is thought to be the original rising agent that inspired bakers to create new and more creative ways to bake breads. The ability to leaven bread, to make it rise and fall, to be able to mold it, decorate it, bread it, braid it, and shape it however they liked, is largely what is responsible for the sheer, overwhelming variety of breads that we have now. We can also thank leaving vibing yeast for the variations of dough textures and aromas, as well as for the variety of proofing methods used for the different commercial yeasts and homegrown starters. There's actually one more leavening agent, leavening method that uses yeast that I neglected to mention in my last episode, which is the dough starter method. Typically, most sourdoughs have to go through multiple rounds of proofing and fermentation before they make it to the oven. Sometimes what bakers will do is reserve a portion of dough from a batch containing a good amount of strong starter before the rest of it gets shaped, and then incorporate that reserved dough into the next batch of bread. And then before that gets shaped and baked, you reserve some of that dough and so on. That reserved dough is called pâte fermenté in French. I have a terrible French accent. I apologize, but then again, who, who can pronounce French words well unless you are actually French? Um, I apologize for being American. Um, so it's called a pâte fermentée, or simply old bread. The original dough that contains the starter is sometimes referred to as the mother dough. This is excellent if you maybe don't have the right environment to maintain a sourdough starter, or you're looking for better flavor. And this is a technique that has been used for thousands of years, originally originating in Mesopotamia. It's a favorite of seasoned sourdough bakers and confident beginners as well. Of course, you know the drill. I will be including a link to a recipe for a loaf made with old dough, as well as um, uh, that recipe also contains um, a guide to how to make a mother dough. Um, So I'll be including that in the episode description if you would like to check it out, as always. So that is the old dough method. That is the old dough method. While leavening with yeast is maybe what most of us think of when it comes to traditional flavorful bread, there are other options. Centuries after yeast began began to be domesticated for bread making, as cultures grew and commerce was established between nations and continents, yeast began to be expensive, or native strands unwilling to provide fermentation, so people found more ways to leaven their bread. There are a variety of leavening agents other than yeast, most of which you probably already have in your kitchen. They include hot water, baking powder, baking soda, otherwise known as bicarb or sodium bicarbonate, self-rising flour, as well as most acids. If you remember in my last episode, acetic acids are also a product of fermentation and include things like vinegar, whereas lactic acid fermentation produces things like buttermilk and milk curd. When baking, an acidic ingredient combined with baking soda will produce a rise. Many of us have done the paper mache volcano with baking soda and vinegar and lava, right? The, you know, the 
school project that everyone had to do at some point in their life. Imagine the bread is the volcano, except on a much smaller scale and with less messy results. That same reaction is happening inside your bread. All of these things can be used to help give bread that rise. Steam from hot water placed in an oven can help create air pockets in the bread, although this is mostly done with breads that have already been yeasted, since steam alone is usually not enough. Self-rising flour is typically white flour that's already mixed with salt and baking powder, and is a staple in a lot of southern recipes. That's for the most part what southern biscuits and most southern breads use as their leavening agent. It's a sort of three-in-one ingredient, because recipes that use it often don't call for an additional salt or rising agents. You can find it at most grocery stores or make it at home by sifting together salt, baking powder, and all-purpose flour. You know the drill by now. I will be including a recipe. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, it'll be in the episode description. So this is usually used to make things like biscuits and most other dense crumb breads. That is one important thing to note. Alternative leavening agents like bicarb or baking powder will not result in the same texture of crumb as yeast will, or the same flavor. They're also not a substitute for yeast, just another type of leaven. So if you use baking soda in a traditionally yeasted bread recipe, it won't be the same. That is because baking soda and baking powder react very differently and very quickly once you incorporate, incorporate them into the dough. So there's very little time for kneading and resting like you would with a yeasted dough, since kneading is what develops the gluten in the dough, which provides it that elasticity and creates more of a sponge-like crumb, those breads tend to come out more moist and dense. For example, soda bread, the best known of which is, of course, Irish soda bread, uses baking soda or soda ash as first discovered and used in bread making by indigenous people of North America. The soda reacts with the acidic ingredients like buttermilk, vinegar, or sour cream to create um, that sort of rise. Soda breads are still loaf-shaped and often bake with, baked without a support, but have the texture that is closer to a scone than a yeasted bread. Of course, that is just one example of the breads leavened by something other than yeast. Many breads that use baking powder or self-rising flour we deem quick breads. The phrase quick bread is an umbrella term that can be applied to really any bread that uses a chemical leavening agent instead of a yeast or a starter, and often baked in a support and made from a batter or an unneaded dough. The chemical leavening permits the bread to be baked immediately, without having to proof the dough or let it ferment because there is no fermentation happen anyway, happening anyway. Quick breads are things like cornbread, banana bread, zucchini bread, and some types of sandwich breads really any kind of something bread, as well as American-style biscuits, scones, and even muffins. This might be the point where you go, okay, stop, you've gone too far this time, <laughs> you've crossed a line this episode, muffins are not bread and neither are scones. If anything, they're cakes or pastry, but definitely not bread. I hear you. And even though I don't want to believe that muffins, of all things, are bread, it really depends on who you ask. This is a topic in the overall baking world where the difference between cake and bread gets thin. It really comes down not to ingredients, but method. The general answer is that when making your batter, if you cream the eggs and sugar first, the end result is cake. But if you mix the wet and dry ingredients all in one, just really toss it in there, 
you end up with bread. Again, it really depends on who you ask. Some bread purists would tell you that quick breads and muffins would never qualify as bread because they haven't had the same burden of feeding communities as a staple food, or because they aren't yeasted, they can never truly qualify as bread. Others might tell you that soda bread, biscuits, and cornbread are fine. Quick breads made from batter are on thin ice, and muffins are right out. Personally, I think it has to do with the texture of the crumb, meaning soda breads, biscuits, cornbread, they're all fine, but muffins are clearly just cupcakes without frosting, and scones are 80% butter. So although I love them, they aren't bread. Again, it really depends on who you ask, because as I've said before, bread means different things to different people. There is no way to accurately define bread as it is as subjective and as varied as it is delicious. This is not just true for leavened bread, because on the other side of this is bread, this bread or bread not debate. There is 30,000 years worth of discourse and discussion about unleavened breads as well. Bread in general really is a simply a topic worth ardent discussion. and all my points being made this is where I will leave you if you would like to tell me your thoughts about bread or weigh in your two cents about the quick bread debate you can tell me what you think by DMing me on Instagram or Twitter at breadwithbryn, all with one word or shooting me an email at brynspencer43 at gmail.com or notjustloafingaround.com at gmail.com that wasn't right notjustloafingaround at gmail.com there we go um, and I'll share the my thoughts about them next time on the show. And of course, if you have any any questions, comments, concerns, if or if there's something that you would like for me to talk about on the show, please feel free to let me know. This week's episode is brought to you by my love of trumpet jazz, cardamom coffee, which is my fuel, and the blessing of a stable internet connection. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you next time where I'll be talking about, well, you'll just have to see. Hope to see you there.